am Alison Mangiero, the president of TQ Tezos, and I'm so excited to see so many of you logged on um, today for the new T-Quorum. Since we can't be together in person, we've launched this weekly series. It's going to take place every Wednesday at the same time to give people the chance to um, learn more about the latest advancements um, as pertains to Tezos, help the ecosystem grow together, and hopefully have some interesting conversations. So each week we will announce the topics and speakers joining us at tquorum.com. So be sure to keep an eye on that. And also just giving a plug that we are having sessions where the community can vote to hear on the topics and projects that interest them most. Um, votes on tquorum.com. We haven't quite figured out how to make that more technologically advanced, but nonetheless, you can vote. Um, and so the community members have already submitted projects and starting today, we'll invite you all to vote on the project and speakers you would like to hear from this month. And those winners will be announced on July 23rd to present at the July 29th session. So looking forward to that. Um, and just a heads up, we'll be doing that again in August. So if you didn't get a chance to submit your project um, and you still wanna present, that portal will open up again on July 29th. Um, so I think that is all I have in terms of housekeeping. Um, and so it's really great to have Kathleen Brightman with us today. Um, we'll basically have a moderated conversation that will last roughly 30 minutes and we'll take some questions from the, the audience on the back half. Um, ask your questions in the chat as the session goes on and we'll keep track of them. And as I always do, I would just remind you um, to please try to ask your questions in the form of a question. That would be greatly uh, appreciated. And we'll be monitoring them and uh, selecting some of those to, to chat about a little bit later. So Kathleen, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. My pleasure, thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for kicking off the series. It looks really cool and a great way to uh, remedy the, the, I guess, issue of not being able to meet in person. Yeah, I think we're all uh, doing our best and to the extent that we can we can find new ways to, uh, to interact with one another. That's kind of all to the good. Um, which actually I wasn't intending to be a segue, but it's a pretty decent segue. Um, so after the um, after the in-person T-Quorum Global Summit last year, Brady Dale wrote a piece in Coindesk about um, what Bitcoin and Tezos have in common. Um, and obviously, I think there are some uh, obviously some some improvements that uh, Tezos was hoping to make as pertains to the technology. Um, yeah. I, I think that um, in terms of like the animating principles and values, um, both communities tend to have very strong ones and, and tend to be um, one of the things that attracted people to the project early on. So maybe instead of talking about like the technological differentiators, maybe kick off by talking about some of the, I guess like the animating principles or values that you think attracted people to Tezos and continue to attract people to Tezos. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, it's what I liked about the Brady Dale piece is like the temptation is to compare Tezos to Ethereum because they're both smart contract platforms. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I tend to disagree, right? So the Tezos um, position paper um, came around the same time as the Ethereum fundraiser, um, and uh, and and you know a little bit after the Ethereum uh, position paper. Um, but uh, but fundamentally, like you know, they weren't. Uh, Tezos is very much um, made in reference to Bitcoin, so. Uh, the position paper, the, the white paper are all um, kind of assuming a knowledge of Bitcoin um, and then trying to build off of that tradition. So fundamentally, the observation that led to, um, you know, the, the building of Tezos was that Bitcoin lacks a native mechanism to upgrade itself. 
Um, and so if you think about it as like stepping stones towards like better digital money, um, we're trying to steward that tradition, right? And um, and so that's like the 2014 perspective. Then, you know, you, we asked about like 2017 and onwards um, when the project became more of a more of a thing and more of a living organism. Um, you know, that was again like the, what was in vogue at the time um, was to say like, oh, you know, these are all just projects that live around each other, and like the less competitive language you you invoked, like the happier people were with you because they kind of saw you as not a threat to their preferred, you know, hobby horse or, or uh, project. And so in the realm of like, you're constantly trying to appeal and, and um, reason with people who already know about this stuff, uh, this stuff being like cryptocurrencies broadly construed, um, the more milk toast your pitch was, the more people kind of were nice to you on the internet. Um, for better or worse, uh, <laughs> Arthur and, and me in particular um, kind of didn't shy away from saying like, no, we're absolutely competing with with Bitcoin and Ethereum and everyone's competing with each other <laughs> and uh, and so I mean that's kind of a Bitcoin e cultural thing to heart into um, and very much out of line of what like Ethereum you know people um, or supporters uh, were saying at the time and so I think we've kind of carried that tradition which looks very antagonistic in this in, in the sense that like you know there's Bitcoin maximalists but there are Ethereum maximalists but eh, it's not as much of a thing um, right. Is meant to be the world's computer, which sounds kind of like a hunky dory idea. Whereas, like Bitcoin wants to be you know, digital gold or store of value or whatever, um, whatever you want to frame it as. But the point is, like, it's trying to be money. And uh, and the Ethereum folks, for better or worse, have like kind of shied away from that moniker. Um, but it's something that I think like the Tezos project is more directly um, uh, situated to do based on its fundamental and, and um, philosophy, and then also kind of the culture of people who came to the project. Um, at least weren't put off by the language that was cased around it, which was a lot less like hunky dory than like Cosmos, for example, um, which very much wanted to be something that interoperates with other blockchains. We're like, ah, oh, no, screw that. Like, we're <laughs> all that. So, uh, so cards up on the table. Um, but uh, but yeah, fundamentally, I think that's more of like a Bitcoin cultural thing than um, than any other smart contract project, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, it's. Um it has this is in many ways like a cryptocurrency lover's cryptocurrency to your point like you have to understand bitcoin and ethereum to understand the improvements that tezos was uh was kind of aiming to make at the time and i guess still to this day the key challenges that those platforms were facing which were uh i would say that the key challenges that bitcoin was facing and then kind of um solving them in a different way than ethereum was proposing to solve them right yeah, um, though it's, it's worth noting for rehashing the history here that the Tezos position paper technically predates things like the Bitcoin Civil War, so on and so forth in the Dow. But um, we'll leave Arthur's, you know, uh, I you know point of Nostradamus. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess to the point of being um, better digital money, right? Um, would you? I mean, I guess the argument is people talk a lot about this use case or that use case, but like at the end of the day, when you think about the fact that I guess the way that people are interacting and transacting these days are really happening in digital communities of various kinds around the world. I mean, especially today in this, uh, given the fact that we're living through a pandemic, but I would say in general, that was the trend. I think that people were, were moving toward even pre-pandemic. And so when you have these, um, it's not just simply communication that's taking place. I think on in these digital communities, people are looking for new ways to transact with one another. Um, and so you see this in the gaming space, which you obviously know very well and we'll talk about, but kind of anything with a fan base where you have a highly engaged user population, these people are interacting with one another, creating those markets and facilitating coordination overall um, with the least amount of friction possible, hopefully, is, is very important. Um, and I think, you know, digital money is in many ways still like 
the killer dap as pertains to those things. Um, So, you know, obviously the world has changed a bunch, but I I guess what was the bet you were making then? And do you think that's changed at all given the environment or do you think it's more relevant today because of it? Yeah, I mean, I I think very much you're trying to figure out ways to like transmit value on the internet, period. And so it takes a myriad of forms, right? And so um, I guess you could try to use it as an alternative to the traditional um, banking system. Um, if that's you know very much what you need to do, um, I don't think anyone likes to be um, likes to be going through I guess uh, less traditional channels. But for some people, it's it's very much the way they have to operate because they've been deplatformed or because um, they have sort of a weird um, I, I guess a weird transaction scheme that they're trying to partake in. Um, but you know that's that's kind of the extreme end of the spectrum. And then on the more like I guess hunky dory things, you know uh, the 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 2015. Um, mantra for Bitcoin folks um, back when they were like really promoting tip bots and things like this. Um, this is prior to like Ethereum launching. It was like yeah. money's just the first app. Um, <laughs> I don't right. know. Like, money's a pretty great app. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, like you know th- things like tipping services and messengers and like microservices and things that just like don't make sense for traditional financial channels um, tend to fall under the purview. What I, I think are like good potential use cases for any cryptocurrency. Um, it is a lot easier to do it when you have smart contracts to program the money, right? Um, but, uh, but that's, so it's interesting because like the reason I I got into gaming, um, you know, I, I, I'm not the person designing the games for Coast and I completely own that because they would be terrible if I did. Um, but, uh, the reason that I I thought it was an interesting test bed, um, and hook to like really sink my teeth into, um, is because one of the largest contributors to the Tezos fundraiser, um, back in 2017 was a gaming company. And, um, you know, I, I was very curious as to why they contributed money to this Swiss nonprofit for this, you know, project. Um, and they explained to me in very clear terms um, that they had this, you know, fully fledged economy that was running on their servers. And they thought that the tax of having, um, you know, money tied to something that they could you know, arguably manipulate, the you know, didn't, obviously they didn't, weren't doing that, but like, you know, they wanted to basically have the onus on a public blockchain um, to validate these things in a way that their community would have buy-in and, and trust. Um, and yeah, that's not as exotic as like getting, you know, North Korean refugees to like, you know, put all their, uh, you know, savings on a blockchain and flee to China or something like that. Um, it's not as romantic or exotic, but um, but it's but it does solve an issue for a, a really big business, and um, and so yeah, like the spectrum runs from like very banal and like um, kind of cute use cases to something more exotic that I, I think you know uh, tickles the more paranoid um, set uh, and, and gets them excited about it. So um, it's a whole spectrum, but yeah, basically what you're doing is trying to um, uh, you know. You know, transmit value on the internet broadly. And uh, that takes a lot of forms, but I think it'll get easier and easier and the use cases will be more diverse and, and widespread, the better the user experience. I mean, I, I guess it's like the thing that has really lagged over the last few years is like yeah. the user experience for sending a Bitcoin is still like relatively unpleasant. Um, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's gotten a lot easier um, over the last few years. And, and I think there have been a lot of improvements and, but there's also a lot of room for growth. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm excited. And that's why, uh, you know, I, I think, Tezos can be a part of that in its own way because it's got a different mechanism for, um, you know, approaching these issues and tackling them. And I think, you know, the presence of smart contracts gives us a huge advantage over um, traditional cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, talking a little bit about the gaming space and then we can maybe we can go more broadly into digital collectibles and all kind of fun stuff, but maybe just talking about the the gaming space to, to start, right? I mean, I think in terms of, as you said, these communities, they have these digital economies, people are trying to figure out how to um, not only hold things that are valuable, but kind of transfer them in a seamless way within these environments and hopefully potentially um, across environments. And so I I guess 
what do you think makes, and you got to this a little bit in your last answer, but I want to pull the thread a little bit. Like, what do you think makes a, a, a public blockchain specifically, maybe a public, you know, proof of stake blockchain, but you know, what do you think um, makes the, this kind of a blockchain particularly valuable for, for this space for, for gaming in particular? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a few different, there's a few different things. Like obviously being able to contract for another person in the game is, is potentially valuable if you're, valuable if you're doing something like an RPG, um, where you're sort of replicating um, real world contracts, right? Because it's sort of an open-ended, uh, loose, you know, you make it what you will. Um, for something like a digital collectible card game, which is what um, we're approaching with with Coast, um, what's interesting is using a smart contract to, um, I guess, work on secondaries markets uh, in, in, the, uh, in the game itself. And that's traditionally something that's very broken um, with other models. It also, um, in our particular instance with a public blockchain, um, when you tie assets to a public blockchain um, from a game, uh, you allow people to experiment more. So um, uh, in traditional like uh, collectible card games, uh, a lot of times users will take cards, physical cards, and then find new ways to create play patterns or rules. And um, more often than not, those become more popular than the original way that's been dictated. So it's about facilitating the same type of experimentation um, in the case of collectible card games um, that uh, allowed the physical format to thrive. Um, and uh, with with things like RPGs, like uh, obviously you can you can port you know kind of your your wallet and, and show that you have the stake and 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 sort of uh, configure and contract with other people who play the game. Um, that's one you know use case. But ultimately, you know, I think that's less compelling. Obviously, which is why I'm working on collectible card games because I think it's uh, hitting a, a much more difficult issue um, that's that's more fundamental to the uh, digitization of those products. And when you so so. Maybe talk a little bit about emergence um, and and what you're working on with Coast in terms of you, you mentioned it, I think uh, I, I might get this you know bastardized this a little bit but I think you mentioned the recent Fortune article that just as all philosophy is a footnote to Plato um, all collectible card games are a footnote to Magic the Gathering um, so <laughs> talk a little bit about why um, how you think in particular you can replicate the the success that Magic this has kind of had in real life. <laughs> With, with what you're doing it with emergence bar bar seven but go ahead yeah yeah i mean um i mean the reason i the reason I say it's a footnote to uh the, you know to the footnote to magic gathering is literally that was the, the origination of the genre and arguably you know i guess you could talk about pre-socratics but like uh <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really where it starts um yeah. and uh and so i like my, i like my whitehead it's not a complete you know article about me if i don't if i don't drop that quote um but in any case uh yeah like so basically, you know, what I tried to when I when I met with this gaming company um, who contributed to the Tezos fundraiser, it got me thinking about like, well, what exactly are we trying to do with blockchains anyway? Because there was like full closed loop digital economy that needed, or they felt they needed a uh, blockchain. And I thought that was kind of an interesting um, jumping off point because we talk a lot about how uh, cryptocurrencies can revolutionize um, traditional finance, and that's very much where a lot of the fervor for DeFi comes from nowadays. Um, is the idea of replicating uh, these traditional structures in a um, you know, in, in a decentralized way. And um, that's all fair and good, but at the end of the day, you're trying to replicate these um, highly complex systems. And uh, we don't know so much about uh, the endpoints um, and, and the failure modes for these things. And so I thought a better form of experimentation would be to delve into um, games, which are kind of like fully digitized and closed close loop in a lot of ways, and really cut my teeth there and try to give a good experience um, in the gaming space and then extrapolate and kind of build more towards um, the traditional financial 
uh, sort of replication use cases that I think are, are ultimately more compelling for cryptocurrencies, but just, you know, the, the technology needs to mature and we need to know more about how people deal with them. Um, so when I surveyed the different types of games that exist, um, RPGs are kind of ridiculous. I would have to basically be running a movie studio and I can't run a movie studio. Um, collectible card games, however, were kind of interesting because um, Magic the Gathering was extraordinarily successful and is extraordinarily successful in, in physical format. Um, but it's always lagged in its digital um, representation. And part of that is because Magic the Gathering is extraordinarily complicated. Um, there have been 18,000 cards created. And so you can just imagine, like, just digitizing that is insane. Um, and, uh, and, and for better or worse, uh, the people at Hasbro, which, which owns the franchise, um, have always tried to be very, very true to the game. Um, and just some parts of it just don't digitize very well. Um, you know, you have to kind of, like, um, tap to confirm every single movement that another player will make, for example, and that just doesn't really register in today's digital world. Um, and so I tried to think of something that was like particularly broken that had bad economics where a blockchain could help and, and, and sort of this collectible card game genre really stood out to me because um, even in things that were digital first, such as Hearthstone, which is the most popular digital collectible card game on your phone, um, you don't really have like a proper secondaries market. And so people wind up in very like boring play patterns, um, and they aren't really able to experiment with the same like velocity that you would be in, in, in a collectible card game that's like physical first. Um, so that's really my jumping off point. Like, you know, I tried to survey a, a, a game that really struggled to digitize and had failed its economics that way. And um, that really left like a physical first transition to digital as the outstanding one. And I, I guess I'm just lucky that the, the kind folks at Blizzard have not, you know, discovered blockchains before me. <laughs> In terms of the, uh, uh, I mean, I think really this is as much about financial economics as it is about a compelling game. I mean, I think the most important thing is having a compelling game, right? But then, of course, getting the the financial economics part of this right is is what's going to make it successful in the end. I mean, I, we can riff about this, but I think in general, um, a lot of people get excited um, in, in this space about the tech. And so it's like, this is cool because it's on a blockchain. Um, but the, the question <laughs> Sort of, in order to be successful, it's got to be like a really cool game first, and the economic models have to actually make sense. Um, so maybe speak a little bit to what you guys are, uh, how you guys are thinking about those things. Oh yeah, I mean, um, I've probably spent way too much time and effort on making a fun game to the point where like maybe we, maybe we made too fun of a game, and I uh, <laughs> took us a little while. But um, but yeah, it took several years for um, Richard Garfield, who's the inventor of Magic the Gathering, to come up with like a you know a rule set and a card file that he was very excited with. So I, I kind of just gave the mandate to my co-founders V to like, um, wait until you, you know, come up with something you're really proud of um, in terms of gameplay. And then like, we'll fill in the rest later. But basically, the game can exist outside of the economic loop that, you know, we, we've created. Um, and I think that's really important, right? Um, a lot of my competitors who should not be named, um, really put like the blockchain bits first and foremost in their marketing materials. And, um, and in their pitches to investors because there's a novelty factor there. Um, right. um, one of my competitors wants to launch a, uh, um, a, a blockchain, like full-fledged blockchain before they launch a game. And I think that's kind of quaint. Um, and it's something we've never been around the launch of a blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, um, Arthur, Arthur, uh, Arthur strongly feels that like consensus ought to be boring, and I, I, I feel like you know custody ought to be boring, right? And and so um, I, I think uh, really ironing out the the user experience and uh, and thinking through like a way that um, all of the blockchain bits are like pushed to the back and secondary, um, and merely facilitate a better 
um, you know, gameplay experience through um, creating more opportunities for experimentation is is the goal, right? And that's like a very banal goal, um, <laughs> um, and it's facilitated by a blockchain. But like, by no means are we are we trying to like harp on the fervor around blockchains because I guess I've been working professionally in this industry for the last five years, and uh, I got to tell you, those those people fade out pretty quickly. <laughs> um, the ones who are enamored with like blockchain for the sake of blockchain. Uh, so you kind of have to think about, well, what's the goal? Um, what's the pretense for, for using this like relatively clunky um, piece of technology? Um, yeah. So I mean, in terms of the boring bits, though, and thinking about things like custody, although obviously you don't want to put that front and center maybe in your marketing materials, like what, what are some of the, I would say, <laughs> both, um, what have been some of the most fun things um, that you've encountered, you know, building the game on this platform? Um, and what are what are maybe some of the some of the challenges that you witnessed and, and things that you think the ecosystem could improve in order to make, um, you know, more games like like yours uh, easier to build on Tezos? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, some of that I, I kind of want to keep a little closer to my chest. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, what's been interesting is, you know, it's a good opportunity for me to learn more about um, what it's like to to taste the dog food. Um, I've been encouraged by the, uh, I, you know, the emergence of, of a lot of new um, languages on Tezos, which are related to Tezos in the ecosystem. And, uh, and you know, just generally more, more of a focus on um, development and making things easier through, through standards, like what TQ has, you know, helped submit to the ecosystem. Um, so that's all been good and like kind of keeping a pace with what's um, there, right, in the in the existing um, landscape of you know competitive options, um, I think that you know ultimately this stuff needs to, this stuff cryptocurrencies um, need to have better um, platforms that are compatible with mobile um, in order to be interesting. And obviously, that really hits um, near and dear to me as 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 emergence is meant to be a mobile first game, and that's how it was designed. Um, so you know some of that has been um, getting the app store to agree to. Um, more cryptocurrency centric applications being submitted. Um, and some of it's been like, wow, the user experience on most mobile um, wallets is just like not that great. <laughs> um, so uh, like that's that's a uniform problem. It's nothing specific to, to Tezos. So I'm not trying to not, not trying to call anyone out or, or whatever. But um, but yeah, I think like that's kind of the next next phase of development. And there's there's a lot of virtues to doing that and tackling it. And there's also a lot of challenges um, that will come along the way, not least of which is like sort of the ambiguity around cryptocurrencies in uh, in these different Android and um, you know, app, Apple App Store um, forums. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of other, I mean, obviously, this is um, <laughs> launching a launching a comp company is uh, time consuming enough. But in terms of other other ways you're spending your time or things you're focusing on, either with Coase or um, in general, I know a lot of talk has been about emergence and and you know getting that launched. But are there other things that you're working on? Um, those co-founders are kind of on your own, some of the projects that you're you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, you know, we use a few different we use a few different concepts in the emergence marketplace uh, that we you know really quite like and think are valuable. Um, the idea of having more or less like programmatic liquidity through the use of things like token bonding curves we think is very appealing to people. Um, and so we're looking at like the collectible space more broadly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so so the idea of doing like fractional, you know, ownership of of rare collectible um, items, not necessarily digital items, on um, the way it is in emergence, but um, you know, actual, you know, valuable valuable yeah. thing. One of my um, co-founders comes from like comic books as as uh, as his you know sort of professional background, and that's been an interesting space to look at, just because um, you know Marvel has has a lot priced out a lot of their original fans um, from being able to own um, you know sort of first editions and things like that. So um, you know if you could lower the price point on ownership and kind of like de-risk things for people by um, 
uh, using token bonding curves and having sort of programmatic liquidity, um, I think it's a better experience for everyone involved. Um, and so we've been looking at ways to bridge that. Um, you know, it's not obvious how to transition it, but there are a lot of things that we've worked on with um, emergence that are translating over to our um, thinking on on how to tackle that space. And so, you know, if I can figure that out, you'll see more news coming on that front. But uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my, my whole thesis around this was like find something that was like very digital um, and then sort of gradually ease into, um, uh, I guess, trickier uh, use cases. And so we're trying to take our learnings and move forward steadily um, to things that I know more about, frankly. Um, but uh, but it's been fun to learn more about collectible card games, and, like the, the subculture that emerges there. There's certainly a lot of comparisons to cryptocurrencies um, you know, that, that arise there. And I've learned that um, a lot of people in the cryptocurrency community are very avid Magic the Gathering players. So that's been interesting. Um, but uh, <laughs> kind of a grand inner circle of that yeah. was pretty large. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, so so um, trying to like kind of just steward and keep our, our thinking going forward, um, which is, you know, granted a little harder in the pandemic than I think in other times. Usually I don't have the uh, specter of a, you know, a global, you know, event like this <laughs> looming right. over my workplace. But um, yeah, trying to kind of keep it constructive and, and move things forward. I mean, in some ways, though, I, I guess to your point, um, I, I we've talked about this. I, I'm excited about the digital collectible space. I think this is um, kind of thinking about to your point, not just uh, ownership of actual uh, digital property or digital assets, but also how you represent those things, um, very valuable things, you know, in real life, um, and figure out how to fractionalize ownership of those things is going to be very interesting, and how to um, let people. I think there are a lot of brands who are trying to figure this out, right? Like in terms of how they can monetize uh, things that weren't able to be monetized <laughs> before and think about those in new ways. Um, so yeah. definitely a lot of people trying to figure this out. Yeah, there's a lot of themes that we're kind of hearkening, hearkening to when we, um, when, we, when we talk about like digital, you know, fractional ownership and things like that. Um, right. You know, uh, like rights that people might have that are associated with this are kind of an interesting thing. Um, you know, Disney for the longest time let shareholders enter the park earlier, right? And that's like kind of a, I mean, I guess if you're really into Disney, that's like an awesome thing, right? And that's kind of, that's kind of the gist of it. Like find, find your little niche, find your little subculture. The internet's been great for that. And uh, and really find a way to make um, try to like build your brand and build loyalty and confer that um, through through the use of you know smart contracts and all sorts of fun stuff to uh, to to make people interact with your platform more or your brand more. Um, and I think you know blockchains give like a very low low cost way to do that relative to other things that have been tried in in you know sort of the business school history books. Yeah, I mean I think it's really interesting too, especially kind of given the pandemic and the times that we're living in. Um, you know, years ago. Uh, you know, and when you think, and I know this is kind of my shtick, but when you think about Tezos being pitched as a digital commonwealth and like, okay, if we're shifting from like thinking about ourselves in terms of nation states, but instead as like network states and how people kind of organize themselves and transact in those kind of environments. What's really interesting is now we think about ourselves, I think, or the pandemic has highlighted more um, geographic borders and, um, you know, the, the yeah. The, the, our very local communities and how we interact with those. But at the same time, because for a long period of time we have been, or I don't know, for people who are out there, it's obviously very different for people in different places in the world. But for those of us who are still largely trapped in our house, um, having the outlet of various digital communities um, is has been crucially important and probably increasingly more so. Um, so I think there's this like very interesting dynamic in terms of like the way people um, 
think about their digital identity, think about the way that um, they're kind of not just, as I said, interacting, but also um, um, moving between these digital communities and kind of finding a home, I think is going to be very important and things that people in many different spaces can probably capitalize on. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I, I think the thing we might turn to, um, like, as women in particular, just like going off the demographics is like social media is, is kind of the forum, but that's increasingly yeah. not being the case, right? Because I, I guess we're recognizing social media is increasingly toxic and terrible for our lives. Um, and and uh, and so, you know, I, I think finding alternative outlets and alternative forums where you can, when you can, where you can kind of like find a community um, is, is also becoming, you know, increasingly a part of the, the journey through this, right? Like a lot of people are, are especially, you know, the last few months, um, becoming wrought with, um, you know, loneliness and, um, and I, I guess being pent up in, in their homes, right? And uh, not everyone has a great situation there. And, and yeah, the internet is a sort of fantastic place to find, find your weird tribe um, and, uh, and, and find unique ways to gather and express yourself. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, I think we can, we can go on on that, but maybe, um, maybe taking a step back, um, we've talked a little about Tezos, we've talked about Coast and gaming, but um, just in general, in terms of trends in the cryptocurrency space or the, the blockchain space, um, if coming out of crypto, you know, uh, crypto winter 2019, people said was like largely okay. Everyone's like heads down, time to build. That's what's characterizing that year. Um, what do you see as kind of the animating trends in the space more broadly speaking in 2020? I mean, obviously, DeFi is expanding beyond its basic use cases. Um, you know, Bitcoin's narrative is kind of continuing to, to develop. These things in many ways are becoming more um, more mainstream and less mainstream at the same time. So just kind of interested yeah. in your take on that. Yeah, I mean, um, I get my cues from Jacob Arlick from TQ. So I, I you know. And I'm like, I don't know, Jacob, what do you think? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's great that the sort of, I guess, DeFi narrative has taken off in the sense that um, that's ultimately what I think is going to bear fruit um, in, in, in sort of making um, smart contracts in particular an interesting platform for innovation and, and um, you know, furthering finance in some meaningful way. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like this year in particular, like looking at my calendar in January, such a such a blithe time. Um, I was looking more at like the projects that were launching this year or supposed to launch yeah. this year. Um, and really, you know, kind, kind of um, Tezos, I think, was uh, um, very much ahead of its time um, when it launched back in 2018. Um, we as a community ecosystem network, um, you know, kind of um, solidified a few really great habits um, in the ecosystem. Um, and really, I think the next few years are going to be defined by like um, increasing, you know, the, sort of the tech stack um, and 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 keeping abreast of trends and kind of anticipating them um, as much as possible. So, um, you know, this year um, was supposed to be the year that a bunch of different projects were supposed to launch or Ethereum was supposed to get 2.0 and all these other things were supposed to happen. Um, Thanks. So, Thanks. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I, th I think we're seeing kind of like milk toast versions of everything happening at the at the fore and uh, you know i'm happy to see that like at least in, in terms of like tezos innovations there we've seen a lot of progress in the ecosystem um despite a lot of i guess um churn and and general friction being associated with um uh you know the the, the other plausible competitors to it um 
And so I try not to think too much about the competitive landscape. I try to focus on like what, um, you know, what I can do um, and not get too bothered with things. I think one of the things um, with Tezos that I'm, I'm most proud of is that um, it really doesn't look too much like it's reacting uh, to, to, to trends, like, um, you know, especially in, in sort of the language that's been used, it really hasn't been trying to follow anyone else. Other, it's been very true to the 2014 um, vision of being a very quick second mover and um, adapting uh, to, the, to, to the latest and greatest in technology, but also like um, having the support and voice of a community very much heard. Um, and so insofar as that was like the goal, I think it's been, um, you know, largely on trend. Um, whereas a lot of other projects will kind of like read another thing white paper, like, yeah, we do that too. <laughs> um, and it's always like a bastardized version of, of something else. Like a lot of the projects that like purport to have governance will really just have like one person pressing like upgrade, right? And that's like their governance model. It's like, oh, but we took a poll. Like, no, we have like the high octane version of governance, right? So, um, so I, I think just kind of being the more, um, you know, like walking to the beat of our own drum and kind of um, seeing through the seeing through the original thesis is kind of the the, the nice thing about Tizos. But then I always have kind of like an eye on what what other projects are um, attempting to deliver and um, seeing how that works out. Right. So it's yeah. it's been a little disappointing that um, uh, as many projects as there have been like kind of lagging um, have have done so. But um, you know, I'm I'm trying not to get too too cozy with the tech and always kind trying to think about like one one step forward or one step ahead. Well, I mean, I think, I think that's kind of, again, when we talk about the key differentiators, um, both in terms of the governance front and the fact that it is actually a self-amending protocol, which like, again, we <laughs> we talk about that a lot, but it's still worth noting that that is uh, actually, it means we can update on a very rapid timeline, much more rapid than uh, than other protocols. Too rapid. <laughs> it's it's good. You know, just right uh, porridge version of, of a ball fan, in my opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess in terms of it being just right, I mean, we've now actually gone through, um, you know, multiple upgrades. Um, you know, obviously to to talk about this happening theoretically and then actually seeing this happen. I mean, in terms of kind of going back to the First Amendment and um, how that all went down, what what kind of struck you the most in terms of the actual governance process itself, or I guess what surprised you and, and what did you, what, what excited you the most about it? Yeah, I mean, well, with the First Amendment, um, there was one thing that Arthur and I were very proud of. And then we said that we were really proud of it and someone spoiled it by like ruining our track record. So um, I guess I'll I guess I'll just mention it now. No one asked us our opinion on which proposal we wanted uh, to, to win um, at the first the first um, protocol amendment. And I thought that was quite a, you know, quite a coup, right? Um, yeah. That's exactly what we wanted is something that like, ex like basically like when you when you found something or when you're an entrepreneur, like the tendency is to be a control freak and um, kind of defanging um, yourself is, is always a very hard exercise. Um, and so yet like, you know, no good thing, um, you know, stays within the confines of some someone just like kind of being a, a dictator about it. Um, usually like the best projects, the best, you know, um, companies, the best uh, you know, softwares are something that live far outside of their founders purview um, and live live past them. So, um, you know, we, we very much like wanted, you know, Tezos to thrive outside of our, our reins or our opinions. Um, so yeah, no one asked us our opinion on um, which proposal um, we wanted. <laughs> and then I said this and then someone asked me my opinion on the second one and I was like, okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, speak ruined. Um, but uh, so that was what I liked, you know, personally from from my purview. So obviously, I have a very unique um, perspective on that. And then, yeah, just like participation has been nuts. I mean, it's great. Yeah. 
Um, and there's tons of delegation, you know, delegators and different flavors that you could do for this and different bakers. And, you know, some people really try to capitalize on um, their stake or their um, take on different amendments and their philosophy as, as like one of the rallying calls and differentiators for themselves as a baker. And I think that's awesome. That's like really how the process is supposed to be. It's supposed, it's supposed to be like a technology, right? But it's ultimately a coordination technology. And uh, it's kind of futile unless you have like a diversity of viewpoints and people sitting at the table. So, um, you know, sometimes I uh, don't like it, uh, but um, that's what it's meant to be. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's what I liked about the First Amendment. And uh, yeah, like I'm really looking forward to, I, I guess like the next iteration is going to have privacy preservation, which I think is essential for being competitive um, for a lot of the use cases that people want to realize. Um, you know, so I, I just think um, it's all kind of like trending upwards. Obviously it's, it's um, you know, when, when you're a bit of a perfectionist like I am, it's, it's always like a little um, like tough on the day to day. But um, I think ultimately like I'm super proud of what's been blossoming um, over the last year and a half or so um, in the ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, to, I guess to the point of, you know, you, you said that it's interesting that no one asked your opinion and there's, uh, there's this question of like seeing the thing uh, I guess other people expressing their opinions and having the thing kind of run of itself without saying like, oh, Kathleen and Arthur, what do you think? What do you think? Um, you mentioned in an article, I guess this was a while back, um, that at the time, and I guess this was, it was either right after beta net launch or mainnet launch or, you know, one of those, um, you were saying you were basically serving as like a Yenta for the network. At some point in time, obviously it was like, most important thing is get this thing off the ground. And then you transition to kind of Yenta mode and now you've been working on your new company, but like, how do you actually see, I guess, to your point, you said it's a tricky thing. Um, you know, what do you actually see your role as now in terms of like the the broader Tezos community or in terms of Tezos generally speaking? Are you still Yenta-ing? Is it a different role? Is it, what what, what do you, what do you oh, think about that? Yenta always a Yenta, right? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I guess I just have the benefit of like the vantage point that I have is that I've been, you know, working more or less full time on this for the last four years. And, um, you know, prior to that, I, I spent time at um, R3, which which is, you know, a successful private blockchain company. And um, you know, just like know a lot of people. So um, uh, my, my network is is pretty, pretty vast. Um, you know, it spans from like financiers to to obviously like builders and things like this. So, um, yeah, like, um, you know, if I see people who are kind of like in a tough situation, I'll try to pair them with someone who complements their skills, whether it's a technical person or a finance person. Um, you know, I try my best to help out when I see like talented people. Um, you know, if they, if I can if I can pair them with things, um, that's kind of like my 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 side hustle, if you will. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, that's I, I think that has helped things out um, <laughs> um, at at the margin. But um, I don't think I could do it as my full time job because I would go completely insane. So um, I I like myself on a mild simmer of insane um, and. Uh, <laughs> Having, having like another another project to work on, you know, emergence and, and all the things I do with Coast um, has been really good for, I think, uh, preoccupying my time and forcing me to think about um, bigger issues with with the Tezos um, network and where I want it to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my email inbox is a testament to my voracious networking um, and, uh, and my complete inability to like, you know, um, contain myself when I think like two awesome people should be working with the ecosystem. So um, it's my uh, affliction, if you will. Um, yeah, so just a reminder to everybody, we are taking questions if you want to throw some in the chat. Um, it looks like we do have um, we do have one question, which is um, uh, specifically about the gaming company that you mentioned, which contributed to the fundraiser. 
and whether they're planning to deploy their in-game economy or at least part of it on Tezos. But I would kind of expand that more broadly to say, in terms of the gaming space, generally speaking, what do you think can attract um, you know, more entrepreneurs to think about building? Uh, I mean, obviously we don't, uh, we want you guys to remain competitive, but in terms of uh, having people think about on yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, well, that's that's kind of the the tough part of being the co-founder of of one entity and then also another. That you know, that, that I, I try not to be too competitive with anyone in the the crypto, you know, blockchain meets uh, gaming space, right? It, it doesn't really serve me well to be um, trying to you know bully anyone out of it, right? <laughs> um, it, it, we we all benefit from from more collaboration. It's it's way too early to be uh, to be casting the stones, right? So um, I. I've tried to help several gaming companies like kind of convert over to, to Tezos um, as their preferred platform. And um, I mean, I, I'm not going to betray the trust of the you know people who contributed to the fundraiser. I, I had to ask before I even told the anecdote, right? So um, so I'm not going to respond to that. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's, it's definitely um, uh, the problem is that a lot of people who are drawn to um, blockchain companies with like an emphasis on blockchain um, really tend to not know the software that intimately and tend to like fetishize it a bit more. Um, and so usually it takes a few iterations of this in order for there to be like enough maturity um, in the market. I'm thinking like, even if you're going back to like 2014, like a lot of the companies that existed then kind of got phased out by more serious players coming in um, with better engineering chops usually. Um, and so that's just like the the way that the cycle has gone is is been like you know the the Gen One and V One um, players usually kind of get crowded out, um, you know, in later in later cycles. And I think that's just like um, fervor kind of getting out of hand. Um, so I'm not super optimistic about like the first fleet of you know blockchain gaming companies, but um, maybe the third or fourth iteration, um, you know, will, will hang around. Um, but I see a fair amount of people who like just kind of want to put like you know nfts on a blockchain and like you know uh plant their their um flag in the ground and you know call it mission accomplished but i think that kind of betrays an ignorance about like um the difficulty of custody solutions for nfts right which which many people can't even answer questions about when you when you ask them like why they're why they're doing this particular model so um right. well i mean so let's let's talk about the difficult of, <laughs> the difficulty of custody solutions for nfts for a minute um yeah, I yeah. Mean, so you can yeah, I mean, basically, the short answer is like you can't use traditional hot and cold paradigms with um, NFTs, right? Because you can't—they aren't—they're not fungible. <laughs> um, uh, so we came up with like a more, I think, clever solution of, of doing this at Coast, which you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't be like you know, kind of bearing all here, but um, yeah. you know, we, we have a solution to it that is a little bit more elegant than just using um, MetaMask, which is kind of the default for a lot of other um, blockchain plus gaming solutions. Which is why you know, Ethereum definitely has um, definitely has a you know. A, basically a, a larger market share um, is because they've kind of put MetaMask front and center as the way to do this. But um, I think that's right for, um, I think that's right for like a, a big security lapse. And, um, you know, again, like Tezos part of the position paper is meant to be like a, a, a fast second mover. And so if simultaneously, like I can work on a, um, you know, a, a paradigm that's more broadly adopted by the, the Tezos ecosystem in time for like um, some of the growing pains um, to happen on the MetaMask solution for Ethereum, like I think that's a huge win for the ecosystem, right? So um, it's about playing the long game <laughs> and having a bit more conviction in yourself. <laughs> um, yeah. And and yeah, I think like a lot of the people who got like super excited about NFTs in, in 2018 uh, and 19, like kind of didn't understand what they were getting into. And um, like, I mean, fundamentally some other things, I don't think like digital art is very interesting. Um, it suffers a lot from the replicability problem. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I got in, Bed or in talks with like an, a digital 
art, um, VR art, um, you know, company for a bit. And like, they had their own, you know, obviously like barrel of issues, right? So um, like everyone's kind of dealing with a, a lot of, um, a lot of complexity in that space and then throwing a blockchain into the mix when very few people understand how blockchains work still like it's just it's going to be a while <laughs> so uh uh so i'm i'm not i'm not too afraid of of um like people kind of figuring these things out i guess if, if i hope that doesn't sound too terrible no no it doesn't um all right i think what we're um what we're going to do is i'll ask my final question and um if no one asks any other questions i think we'll wrap up um but i guess you know now, however many years into the project, you said you've been kind of working in this space for five years, which is, uh, uh, you know, 50 years, I think, in, uh, in terms of people working in, in regular industries. <laughs> and there are a lot of uh, things that have changed, obviously, and a lot of things to, to look forward to in the future. I think many have talked about the, the or I guess I was asked this question on a panel and I had a different answer than um, some of the other people participating. So I'm interested in your take. Um, in terms of when we see mass adoption, I mean, we've talked about problems with UX and problems with people not understanding the technology at all, people not understanding the paradigm. Um, do you think, when do you think we'll be at a point where there will be more, I guess, mass adoption of, of cryptocurrencies? Do you think that we're at the tipping point now? Do you think that that's coming years in the future? What's your general read on that? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I was asked a version of this question, which I guess is a popular one for, for panels um, a few years ago, and I had sort of a snarky reply, but I'll give it to you anyway. Um, so yeah, like when I opened up my laptop and I sent an email, I don't think, boy, I sure do hope TCPIP is working today, right? Like it just works in the background and I'm kind of, I take it for granted. Um, and so I think that's kind of like the same status that blockchains have to achieve to really be like the, you know, end all be all and supplanting all the things that, um, you know, people who are really active on Twitter will rave about it, you know, one day, you know, surpassing gold and doing all this nonsense. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think like it just has to become really boring um, in a good way um, and, and more reliable in a good way. And um, yeah, like the promise of programmatic money and programmatic value transmission is hugely um, beneficial to a lot of people in the world. So I think, you know, it'll happen in some form, whether or not it's, it's Tezos, I guess, remains to be seen. But I think like the the bones of the protocol and the project kind of situate us really well for, for fast adoption and to iterate in a way that um, many other um, chains lack. And so that gives me confidence going into the future is like fundamentally this is meant um, to reflect uh, a principle, um, a literal principle from the principles uh, design is an iterative process. And uh, and so I think that's like actually a really good um, tenant to, to, to hold true to, right? Like um, always, always kind of be willing to re revise your beliefs and um, and, and sort of adapt to what's um, what's working. <laughs> um, be empirical about it. Uh, so you know, I I, I guess um, when it hits TCP/IP status, you know, we'll all just be like, oh yeah, blockchain. But we won't exactly know how to articulate what it what it does or how it, it works. But it'll work, <laughs> and and that'll be great. <laughs> um, all right, two quick questions from the audience, or maybe not quick, but two questions from the audience. Um, what do you see as the most interesting use case for Tezos aside from gaming? Um, and then the follow-on is, what are your views on STOs? So maybe let's take the first half of that in terms of what do you think are some of the more interesting use cases for Tezos outside of the the gaming space? Yeah, I mean, I think money is the best app. Um, you know, gaming is is kind of meant to be like, oh, you know, like I, I think it's a cool experiment and it'll like yield a lot of interesting insights. But I don't think um, you know, pound for pound, I think like obviously um, replicating traditional financial 
um, constructs in a, in a more low cost way, like lowering the ticket price for basically um, financial products is kind of the end goal. Um, and that takes many different forms, um, but it requires a lot more, um, I think, infrastructure to be built out and a lot more maturity in the blockchain space more generally. So, you know, I, I, I don't think, uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of my answer and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Um, the next one is uh, Ethereum is suffering from their own. This is again from the from the person who submitted it. Ethereum is suffering from their own popularity in terms of prohibitively high gas costs, and lots of developers are looking for alternatives. What do you think Tezos can do to capture some of that mind share and avoid some of the scalability issues of Ethereum? Well, um, you know, Tezos isn't a sentient being. Um, I think it requires like a general community around the Tezos ecosystem, which means like, you know, doing things like addressing our own, uh, you know, gas costs and, and, and things mm -hmm. like a lot of a lot of um, the Tezos platform is still very much like oriented towards um, being conservative uh, in, in its in its performance and things like this. So, um, you know, there there is a proposal period that you know would benefit from from addressing some of these issues that you know Tezos has in its own right and and then also like more broadly the community um could you know also pick up the mantle of of making uh, Tezos more accessible to people and I think a lot of great strides have been made so um I don't mean to discount the work that's been done I think getting things like you know Truffle to support Tezos has been a was a huge coup for example um mm -hmm. and also like SmartPy and you know all the great work that you guys are doing over at TQ has been fantastic. So um, I think we're very much on the on the way of becoming very appealing to people who've um, seen Ethereum as a great way to prototype. Um, I you know I I don't look at anything in like the Ethereum suite of um, projects that are out there and think like oh man I wish that could be on Tezos. Like everything's pretty immature at this point, um, and I think like it's still very much early days for the entire space. And I kind of hope that like as the space matures and like we get more insight into how this DeFi stuff works out because <laughs> um, yeah. there's still like follies and, and and sort of weird things that have happened in that space. Um, well, you know, there's a huge second mover advantage there, right? I mean, like there's yeah. there's a huge benefit to being the second mover. Um, yeah, I mean, the early, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And um, I've I've said this many many times in the history of Tezos. Um, so uh, so I, I very much feel like you know we're, we're making a lot of strides as a as an ecosystem in um, attracting people who who cut their teeth on Ethereum um, and maybe see the virtues of Tezos because of that. Um, but also, you know, there's been a lot of uh, knowledge that has come from seeing consensus operate for like the last few years and seeing the projects that have come out that have like actually gotten really great adoption and trying to replicate that. Like we've seen that with like, we have a version of MetaMask for Tezos, right? So um, we're a type of MetaMask for Tezos. And we have a few things that like thrived in the Ethereum ecosystem that have been replicated to, to go on Tezos. And then we've taken some things one step further, right? And and come up with their own riffs and, and, and versions of things. So um, I think it's been really healthy so far in, in being an attractive option. Um, but yeah, Ethereum has a first movie advantage and, and you know, it's going to be a little while before that either, you know, fails or is, is eclipsed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's and I, to your point, I think it's largely meeting people where they are um, and, and figuring out how we can make better the things that they're used to um, and getting our own house in order to your point. Um, a question, and I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I'll throw it out to you. Um, can Tezos be deployed as a private network for a consortium in which participants don't want to expose the data on a public network? I mean, I just don't think that's an interesting, but yeah, sure, do whatever you want. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean- why, why, I, don't you, why don't you think that's interesting? Because I worked for a company that tried to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, this is not that interesting <laughs> the entire time. Um, so uh, yeah, so I mean, 
it's 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 like a valid it's a valid use case and like i don't mean to like yeah cast dispersions i mean i could be completely wrong i just think like what's revolutionary about this and what like gets me super excited and allows me to like go through all the you know interesting adventures i've been on for this is uh is really that like um you know i i think you know if this works out it's potentially something that's like very revolutionary right so it like tickles my it tickles my um sort of ambitious um philosophy major like funny bone and um i just like helping banks or whatever like lower their internal costs for accounting like ah, it just never got me super excited so um but uh but i i think like replicating you know traditional finance but like in in a very low cost decentralized way is like awesome right because this is stuff of like revolutions right so um i mean i i completely accept that like um a huge part of validating ethereum as like a a, a very viable option and in, in, to that end um has been its um integration and interaction with enterprises um and so like you know if a, if a um, private company wants to run a private instance of tezos and sandbox it and use it for something um you know, to, to, to validate um, a use case, like that's really cool. And like, my understanding is that there's a lot of efforts being made to make that easier. Um, yeah. But what gets me excited is something just like very different, right? So, <laughs> um, yeah. so like, you won't find me, you won't find me like really dreaming about that. Um, but yes, it is entirely possible. Yeah, not sexy, but um, can confirm that that's actually being, uh, actively being worked on and something that, that can be done. Mm -hmm. um, all right, I think actually we are just about at time because I have to um, mention all the things that need mentioning before we wrap the wrap the session. Um, so just want to thank you again so much for um, for joining us this morning and riffing on a multitude of different topics. Um, thanks for chatting with me. Um, uh, just so you all know, there will be updates again, as I mentioned, on tcorum.com, and you can follow our new social channels on Twitter and Instagram at tcorum with a little underscore. The video of today's session will be posted on YouTube next week, um, which is terrifying to me, but great for everybody who wasn't able to uh, join us. Um, and next week we'll have a session with Tyler Clark, who is the CEO and founder of Camel Case, who will be demonstrating their non-custodial mobile wallet for Tezos Magma um, and talk about some of the other projects that he's most excited about, um, including Dexter, the decentralized exchange. You should definitely tune in for that one. It'll be way more interesting than, than listening to me wax philosophical. So <laughs> Tyler's uh, the best. Uh, no, Tyler is the best. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Kathleen. Thank you to all you guys for, for joining us. And we will hopefully see you next week.